Formula One Philosophy, a Formula One discussion with Nicholas McKayley and Sean Medeiros. This is episode two. Today is February 15th, 2024. Formula One Philosophy is brought to you by our sponsors. Did you know we have sponsors, Sean? I did not. Uh, we do. We have one sponsor at the moment right now. It is X Copper, and they sent us a blurb to say, X Copper, X Copper. It's a call you never want to make. Mom, Dad, I've been arrested for child trafficking in only my own island in the Caribbean. Jeffrey, is that you? Harold, come talk to your son. I have no son. I have a disgusting child trafficker for a son. Mom, Dad, please, you have to bail me out. Ghislaine said the, the lawyers can't come and bail us out this time. You're going to need me to get out of jail. Jeffrey, I don't have enough money to do that. Mom, Dad, please, you got to help me. Whatever you do, don't believe what they say in the media. Don't believe it. I didn't kill myself. Is this you? Well, X-Copper can help you. X-Copper is here to help you with any legal trouble, including child trafficking. We have no bottom. X-Copper. Also, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that X-Copper is not sponsoring that message. Not at all. We're going to get sued again. Okay. <laughs> Once again, this is Formula One Philosophy featuring Nicholas McKayley and Sean Medeiros. That little blurb was just for me. I included the therapy in this one. But since it's the two of us today, it's Formula One Philosophy. Like I said, it's February 15th, 2024. And today we're together to discuss a few topics. Uh, do you want to talk about anything first before we start, Sean? I do. I would like to make a correction about something I said in the last podcast, specifically relating to Eddie Jordan. I feel like I gave him a bit of the, uh, the short end of the stick in that one, claiming he didn't really have too much of a successful F1 career. Uh, I went back and I actually did some research after that and found out that without Eddie Jordan... One, we wouldn't have the current Austin Martin team. Mm. Obviously, they came from um, the Jordan, the ashes of Jordan. Uh, we talked about that in the last episode. Mm. But also, we wouldn't have a number of drivers who came up through Eddie in junior championships and everything he's done outside of F1 on top of his time in F1. So, I guess correction number one, Eddie was a driver. He went through Formula 3000, Formula Atlantic, whole host of other series uh, before owning teams in those categories. Very much like a precursor to Christian Horner today, same sort of development arc. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, he is responsible for getting us John Alesi, Michael Schumacher, Ralph Schumacher, Alex Zanardi, Rubens Barrichello, Eddie Irvine, Takuma Sato, Heinz Harold Frensen. Yarno Truly, Giancarlo Fisichella, Nick Heidfield, and more. Mm. So, kind of put my foot in my mouth on the last episode. Without Eddie Jordan, F1 probably would have not been as good as it was in the 90s and early 2000s. Putting our foot in our mouth is the crux of this podcast. I think we're going to be doing that quite a bit. Yeah, but it's supposed to be you. Yeah, that's true. Well, it definitely is going to be me. Uh, but yeah, uh, seven championships in all the drivers that he he introduced to us, all through Michael Schumacher, but he believes Ralph would have been one, and Irvine 
if not for the seven-time world champion, might have <laughs> had his own his own championship, I think, in 99. And I'll go on record and say that I think uh, David Coulthard could have been on there as well if he hadn't uh, spent too much time listening to Ron Dennis and Mika Hakkinen. 100%. When I always believe that, like he, Hakkinen never gave Schumacher as much trouble as Coulthard did. If you look at the races, Schumacher was definitely scared of Coulthard, and uh, and he later was right to be in uh, Belgium '98 uh, for fucking almost killing me, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and if you actually look at the the battles between Schumacher and Coulthard, it was Coulthard who usually kept Schumacher at bay. Hakkinen, it was hit or miss, but I think Coulthard like. There was only a couple races where Schumacher got the best of him, usually when he had to pull over for Hakkinen. Yep. So, what yeah. else are we talking about today? Well, I think we should start with the the team launches, the car launches. Sure. Yeah. We talked a little bit about uh, our, our thoughts on uh, on stake and how um, <clears throat> beautiful it is. Um, but we'll talk about the other ones. Uh, so this week... We saw Austin Martin, Mercedes, and Ferrari, and actually today we saw Red Bull. Did we not? We did see Red Bull today. So yeah, um, I guess we'll start with Austin Martin then. I didn't really see too many changes. I also don't exactly know what to look for. So if you want to say, did you see anything special out of them? Yeah, the Austin Martin was kind of the case of this is the new car, same as the old car. There are some little bits and evolutions on what they had last year. I think the color's better this year. It's a little more proper green. British Racing Green or Emerald Green or... Yeah, which apparently you're not... British Racing Green is one specific shade of green that was used by Bentley, I believe, and hasn't been used by any other manufacturer since the do, 1930s. Do they have uh, like a copyright for them or no? I can't remember the detail of it, but for some reason that one shade of green, that very specific shade of green, hasn't been used since the 1930s. Mm. Obviously, British Racing Green is used in several other shades that are very similar that you and I can't tell the difference of. Yeah, I think it was the, um, what was, it was one of those Austin Martin stock cars. I want to say like the DB9RS or something. They had a British Racing Green with like white stripes and stuff like that. This was like... This was Top Gear with uh, Clarkson days. I want to say like 2014. Probably. They, they did that, yeah. Jaguar, I'm pretty sure, the Jaguar F1 team, it was more emerald, but I think they called it British Racing Green too, yeah. Yeah, it's a name that gets thrown around a lot, but ultimately, Aston's using a green that looks pretty cool. Other than that, can't say much about the car. Yeah, and there was quite a bit of difference between 2022 and 2023. And we saw a big jump from them. And I think a lot of people that were expecting them to make another jump this year. But if there's not much of a change, did development stall, you wonder? Or? I don't think development stalled. We saw them come out on a high last year. And that kind of plateaued and dropped off. And then they finished the year relatively high. So it's pretty clear that they've taken the Red Bull Red Bull uh, development path. They've copied a lot of the same elements, obviously not piece for piece. And it looks like they've they've tried to evolve on that, which frankly, in a year where there's no rule changes, that's the best way to go about it. 
So I think they're we're on track for next week in testing to see if they've made any progress or if they're going to be where they were at the end of last year. Well, yeah, time will tell. Well, they copied Red Bull last year. At least that's what uh, Newey, Horner, Verstappen, and Perez said in different points in the first three races or four races. So it might be lucrative for them at the beginning again, but clearly if you're just going to copy Red Bull, you're going to miss out come midseason. So, yeah, and let's be clear, they've they've copied Red Bull's strategy. Um, they have a Red Bull aerodynamicist on their team, yeah. and they did last year, and that's part of the reason the car looked so similar. Um, it's obviously not a carbon copy. They're using different engines. They're using different transmissions. Everything changes around all these components. So it is their own development with design philosophy from Red Bull. And the evolution of that wouldn't be a copy of this year's Red Bull car because nobody working on that has any detail of what they did. So it's an evolution based on their own strategy. So we'll see if they got it right. Yeah, well, in terms of their drivers, they don't exactly have uh, the best developers. I think we'll talk more about that next week. So, yeah, this that one to me is, I think, the biggest wild card. I think I think we're gonna we'll see if either they fall mm. fall completely flat or they or they nail it and within the next couple of weeks and there's no I don't think there's a middle ground that's basically what I'm trying to say I don't think they're just gonna come in and be mediocre that they're gonna be really good or really bad based on what we're seeing yeah it's quite possible and then we saw after that we saw Mercedes did we not or did Ferrari come first I think it was Mercedes it was Ferrari oh it was Ferrari yeah. The first time they came ahead of Mercedes in a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> you said you actually liked the new Ferrari. I like the old Ferrari too. It, the Ferrari makes a nice looking car, just like on the road cars. Because it looks nice doesn't mean it's worth anything. <laughs> um, but particularly this year, I like that they've gone away from the kind of monotone cars that they've had. Right, it's always been primarily red with either white or black and not a whole lot of definition. Now they've added some detail to it. There's some striping. It looks like someone actually knows what they're doing in the design department mm. as far as graphics go. Um, composition, body style, it's been on a diet. It doesn't look as chunky as it used to. That's one thing that set them out last year is that it looked significantly wider than the rest of the field. Now you can see it's got some definition. It's got some shape. It's, you know, they took it off the all pasta diet. <laughs> and we'll see if it's any good. Did, um, would a heavier car translate to worse or better aerodynamics? Like, did it have decent cornering last year? Did it have poor cornering? Or, or am I just talking out of my ass here? The mass of the car has nothing to do with the aerodynamic performance. A heavier car is going to net you less power overall and that's the wrong way to put it the power the engine generates is the same the mass that it has to move changes so mm -hmm. obviously with a given power output you want the lowest possible mass now just because it looks big doesn't mean it was big mm. that could have been part of their aerodynamic strategy to get more surface area and, and more surface area would mean more downforce okay because the air has to run over. As long as that surface isn't a draggy surface, you can generate more downforce with more surface area. 
As long as there's nothing underneath that, then there's no mass to add, right? So it could have been a cooling thing where they wanted to get more volume into those side pods and not the fact that there's nothing under there doesn't add mass to it. It simply allows the air to move through there in higher volumes. So I actually want to expand on this a little bit. What, what are the, the most downforce heavy tracks? I know Hungary is probably one of them I can think of off the top of my head where you need a lot of downforce. Hungary, Monaco, um, Mexico, but only Mexico because the air is so thin. Mm. Because they're high up, you see them putting on the high downforce packages from Monaco and Hungary, but you get very high top speeds because you don't have the air density creating that downforce. And, and that's... Yeah, I remember them talking about that a little bit, how uh, Mexico was a, a challenge for a lot of people. Alfatari of all of them seemed to get it right in terms you needed a good balance where you need a lot of downforce, but you still it's still somewhat of a high-speed course. It's a very high-speed course. It's one of the faster ones. I think Alfatari and Alfa Romeo, um, I was just recapping testing from last year, and this comment came out for both those teams that they were they were track-effective cars. You'll hear about, like, the Williams, for example, is a low-drag car. So it's great in high-speed circuits like Monza, and that reflects in the points that they get in mm. Monza. But in general, when it comes to tracks like Hungary or Monaco or Mexico, they fall flat on their face mm. because they can't generate that downforce, right? Whereas Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri weren't necessarily great through the year, but they didn't suffer as many highs and lows potentially as the rest of the field did when the track changed. Afatari was always like there. It was always just on the cusp of points. So that definitely goes to your thesis. Alfa Romeo, I find was, this is why I kind of blamed the drivers last week. They were just always like 15th or 16th. If they didn't have a good weekend, it was just, it was just not there. And they, and they were, sorry, just to cor correct. Once again, you're talking to someone who's very mechanically challenged. Um, they were low drag, sorry, they were high drag cars or low Which, drag. Which, the Alphas? Yes. Well, they're track neutral, let's call it. Okay. So the design allowed for it to be efficient in both conditions. So they could make it high drag, they can make it low drag. It's not particularly good over the entire span of the season, but it didn't suffer from the, we're going to be in fourth place come Q3 and then fall flat on our face in the race on different tracks right mm -hmm. they were like you said consistently 15th 16th that was the pace of the car but they were there every track they didn't have the promising fifth place and then a down to earth 20th place right except for hungary but i think that was maybe more of a mistake of their second year driver he like it was joe Yu was fifth but just couldn't get off the line his, his one chance sometimes pressure makes you crack right mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to see him for the next five years. Um, <laughs> Ferrari had something interesting I read, that they had um, a rear suspension rod and a front suspension rod. Did you hear about that? There are suspension rods in the front and the back of all the cars. No, but they had a specific design. Did you did you hear about that? They did something to the front that was specific and something to the back that was specific. Push rod and pull rod. There you go. So a lot of the teams have gone to... I'm going to get this wrong... <laughs> Me too. 
I want to say it's the push rod. I, I'll look at it for the next episode. Um, but there's one set of geometry, and it's been a while since I've done any chassis design work. Um, one set of geometry that will tend to dive more under braking. And Ferrari uses that. Now, I believe for this year, they've changed their philosophy in the front, but kept it in the back. And I have a feeling that's a cost cap thing related to the transmission design. Because in these cars, the transmissions are stressed members, so are the engines. Mm. Which means the body attaches to the engine, the rear suspension attaches to the transmission. So if you're going to change your strategy and go from one method to the other, you're going to end up having to change your transmission case. So I think that's them saying it's not worth the change in the rear, but making that change up front because they had to build new tubs anyway. They had a lot of transmission problems though last year, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, did they not? Because their drivers kept hitting shit. <laughs> not because of the transmission. <laughs> okay. That's the first time I've ever heard, heard you defend the Ferrari engineers, so that's pretty... Uh, I didn't say they were any good. <laughs> Just it was the driver's fault, not the engineer's fault, that they kept breaking, That's and true. the Las Vegas construction workers' fault. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. There they, uh, they really owe Ferrari some money. But I can't believe they not only penalized signs, but just completely like absolved themselves of that. That 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 to me was always just such a like a. Like a what do you what do you want to call it? like a slap in everybody's face? Like not just Ferrari's face. That was a slap in everybody's face. Like if we yeah. fuck up and you pay the price, you're still going to pay the price. What got me about that is the FIA penalized them because you had to take a new engine, transmission, tub, everything mm. basically, sure. and they said, "Oh well, it's not our fault that you ran out of your engine allocation." Basically, the the penalty was he had already taken too many powertrains. It was the second last fucking race of the season. And it's shoddy construction work. And then the other justification was, oh, we've seen this before, right? There have been other tracks where there's a drain cover that gets welded down, but everybody's running over it constantly. I think in Spain and in Coda, we've seen it, where all the cars running over these drain covers pulls them up and it damages a car. But this wasn't a drain cover that has to be welded in. This pulled the whole fucking man cover out of the goddamn asphalt. <laughs> and Ferrari can turn around and say, uh, you're the reason we're here too. Because before the race, like the race was great. But before the race, there was not much optimism on Vegas. There was, there was not, like Max Verstappen was talking shit about it. And a lot of the drivers were like, oh my God, a Saturday night race? Like what the hell is this? It... Like, they didn't want to be there. You forced them there, and then the Vegas Grand Prix fucks up, and then you penalize Ferrari. Like, it's it's just, there's no justice there. Like, it just did not, it was not fair by any means. And the, the team principals have a role to play in that as well, right? They could have, Ferrari could have gotten away with not being penalized if the team principals unanimously had agreed to allow it. But obviously, in a title fight, second last race of the season, Mercedes, Red Bull, they all said no. Yeah. Because they saw the opportunity to screw Ferrari. And I'm not a Ferrari fan, but that's kind of a dick move. Yeah, because it's going to come back on you one day. Where's the sporting? Where's where's the sportsmanship? Yeah. Well, maybe it goes back to 2022 when Wolf wanted to, you know, scrap the whole ground effect era because he's his team fucked up. 
and everybody said, no, fix your fucking car. Maybe that was the, uh, some of the impetus or some of the calculus in his logic. Like, oh, when I wanted changes, you, you didn't come to me. Well, on that note, it looks like they've changed their fucking car. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what, what did you see in the Mercedes? I saw, let's say, a more evolved version of what the car was last year at the end. Their B-spec car had some interesting elements. I saw some comparisons between their F1 car and their Formula E car, which were unfortunate because <laughs> Formula E, I've tried. I've really given it the college try to to want to watch it. It hasn't got a lot right, and it's definitely not got aerodynamics in mind. But this is an F1 car designed by F1 designers, so hopefully they know what they're doing. I also saw something relatively interesting in the fact that it kind of looks like a Mandalorian. <laughs> they did something with those side pods that looks like, you know, someone's been watching a little bit too much Disney+. Plus. I haven't watched that show yet. I know, I know, like, we're kind of getting off topic. Wait, what do you, do you like that show? I like it. I like Star Wars. It's, it's worth the watch. We talk about everything here, ladies and gentlemen. Mandalorian sponsored this podcast. Do you, do you think you see anything in there that can potentially give it an aerodynamic or, um, like you were talking about drag and low drag? Is it now lower drag or is it drag neutral or is it drag neutral? Is a very poor choice of words especially these days. Um, <laughs> is it more of a low drag or high drag car? Or is it, or is, what did you see in that Mercedes? Yeah. When it comes to the bigger teams like Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, they tend to have more know-how, more understanding of how to build a car that is upgradable and modular. So when you go to a high drag track, you can easily bolt on high drag bits without without having a naturally draggy car. And I think that's where Mercedes is. They're at the point where they've, they've realized the zero pod doesn't work. The idea behind the zero pod was you would have less drag overall because you don't have the massive surface area and all the contours. Um, you have less drag overall, but higher airflow because of how clean the surface was. Clearly, that didn't work. One of the complaints they had was they didn't have any grip, and then they would end up overheating their tires because they're working them too hard because the mm -hmm. downforce isn't helping them. That was 2022? 2022, was beginning of 2023. Mm -hmm. The car got better at the end of 2023 when they adapted that Red Bull-style side pod. Mm -hmm. And I think now they've firmly put their heads down and designed a car around that like one of the things you saw in 23 was when they changed the car they were still stuck to the tub that had been designed for the zero pods mm. so there were things that were done on the floor section and the skirts of the floor that they were stuck to because it's a fundamental change in the car they couldn't do now that they've had a chance to build a new car around this new side pod design that they have they've been able to change that so now it should work more as a complete system instead of a bolt on to their existing package mm. do you think they listened to lewis hamilton finally like like <laughs> hamilton said was that his major complaint from 22 to 23 when he said they didn't listen to me what was he saying yeah you see this is i, I brought that up as like a tongue-in-cheek comment like he constantly makes these claims that 
Like, I know what to do with this car or I know what I'm doing. Like, just trust me. But like, he, you're right. What did he really say about the car specifically that they needed to change? And that's what we're not hearing, right? Like, we didn't hear a lot from George Russell other than it, the car didn't feel right. He never complained that no one was listening to him. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamilton complained that no one was listening to him, but he never had any real feedback on what had to be done. One of the speculations that I've seen flying around, and I think this is relevant, George is like 6'1", 6'2". He's a tall guy. Yeah. And Lewis is not. Lewis is mid to five, just over mid five feet. I think he's five seven five eight around there, yeah. And one of his complaints was that the cockpit's built around the larger driver because you have to. Now, you can make movable pedal boxes and steering wheels and change steering column lengths and all that, but if you can't see your front axle because you're so far back in the car because that's inherently where the seat has to be, that's a problem. Mm. And I think that has a lot to do with where Lewis struggles in that car. Because if you can't be comfortable in it, you're fucked. Yeah, but 2023, he was driving a lot better than George. So was it, was it that? Because or he's just, a better driver. Yes. Yes, but in the sense like George came out flying in that 2020, 2022 season. Right? And I guess you're right in the sense that that, w- that would speak to your theory. But then if... He was. You were still better than George that first half of 2023. So was it was it really that that the car was lacking? I, I wonder. That's my that's my um, two cents in that sense in that discussion. Yeah, and we may never know, but we can only speculate. My brother actually made this great comment. We, we were both watching the Brazil Grand Prix together, and that Grand Prix was great for many reasons. One of which we saw the spirit leave Charles Leclerc, <laughs> and. And another time, and this speaks to what we were, what we were t- I was talking about about Hamilton. Like, did they finally listen to him? He makes a comment in his last pit stop when they they go to the mediums, or no, sorry, they went to the softs for his last stint, and he starts realizing early on that he's tearing the softs apart. And he goes, "We should have gone to the hards, man. We should have gone to the hards." He makes this comment, and it was clear to everyone that weekend clear to everyone that the hards were nothing but friggin' hockey pucks like they had no grip no speed advantages nothing like no longer stints because they were just garbage so he the point is he didn't really know what he was talking about he was just the mercedes team did one thing and he said you know what we should have done the exact opposite and i think that's kind of the driver he is like he's he's a very good driver but at the same time like when he's not winning he's a total baby one thing i will say there is that I can't remember if he used the the hard tires in practice. I want to say it was a one of the comments over that weekend is that not many people used the hard tire at all. It wasn't a preferred tire. Um, if he had used it in practice, because that car was notorious for tire temperature issues because of the lack of drag, mm. the hard tire may have felt better to him because it was building up more heat and acting more like a medium, right? Everything that car may have essentially driven all three sets of tires one step softer. We're talking about practice, though, Sean. Not the game. Not the game. Practice. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? No. Allen Iverson? You're going to be litten up in the comments. 
if you don't remember Allen Iverson going off on the on the reporters because they asked him a question about practice and Allen Iverson notoriously didn't show up for practice. All right, moving on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in this case, Lewis Hamilton does show up for practice. <laughs> and that's really how you're going to know how the car feels on race day. Yeah, and actually, and that's going to lead into the next question. Someone who, who loves practice is Max Verstappen because he, he is a master practicer and he that's one of the reasons, and we're going to talk about this in another podcast, why he hates the sprint races. Takes the, takes the element of practice away from him so he can get a feel for what exactly he needs come race day. And uh, yeah, I shouldn't make fun of Lewis Hamilton. I just couldn't resist. And speaking of Red Bull, they are the last car to launch, right? There's no other cars to launch from this point forward? Correct. Yeah, so the best went last. I didn't see many changes. Like I said, once again, not knowing exactly what to look for. But do you think Red Bull... Do you think Red Bull nailed it again? Because I really liked what Nui had to say about Singapore when they asked him. He said, we had a bad weekend and I want to get to the bottom of it. Yep. The one race they messed up, he wants to win now. They want to go 24 for 24 this year. And do you think looking at the car, I know you can't really, no one can really tell. But what do you see in the car? Do you see any differences? Do you think they nailed it again? <clears throat> I mean, Nui is... In a league of his own, quite literally. Um, mm. I've read his book, How to Build a Car. It is a, it's a fantastic read if anybody wants some insight into who Nui is. Um, he describes his, his method and his preferences pretty clearly in the book. And it's something he's used in all of his championship winning cars from McLaren through Williams and uh, Red Bull. It's basically you... When there's a regulation change, you look at it from a standpoint of not what the rules are, but what the rules don't say. Mm. All right. That's where you find the loopholes. Find what it doesn't say and figure out how you can work within that rule structure and think of things that no one else has. And I think that's how they got to the 23 car. Obviously, the 22 car was pretty good. Mm -hmm. The 23 car was an evolution of... And that's another thing he goes to is that year to year changing car philosophy doesn't get you a net benefit because you don't have the learning experience. So largely they're going to the same tracks with the same drivers and the same rules classification. So why would I change the car? The car worked. Mm -hmm. Now I need to improve it. Right. So you can see that in the new car. You've got these cannon barrel um, intake tubes. I'm not sure what to call them, really. Cannon barrel being the, the vertical ones that you were talking about? or No, they're horizontal. They're basically the halo folds into them. Mm. They're below the air box. So the air box in the center above the driver's head, they're kind of right along the top of the driver's head. They run the entire length of the car. That's something that Mercedes started using. So the fact that they put them on this year's car tells me that Nui sees something of merit there. And they've used the year change and the fact that they have to build a new car to work that into the philosophy. Um, they've done something, and I didn't get a good picture of it, with a vertical inlet on the side pod. 
which goes towards what I think Mercedes was trying to do with the zero pods because the zero pods had a vertical, a very small vertical inlet to the side pod. So I think there's something there that they found. I don't have a whole lot of detail on it. Um, but Ferrari did try it in a kind of crude fashion in one race last year. So do you uh, remember the race? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so clearly there's something that Nui has seen there and they've worked through it. Um, my only hope is that him being the aerodynamicist genius that he is has gotten it right without the the wind tunnel time. But they had full wind tunnel time, did they not, this year? They have full wind tunnel time, but they have the least wind tunnel time of any team on the grid. Correct, but like they still nailed 2023 with a 10% reduction. So if you look at it, they had 10% more wind tunnel, wind tunnel time. Yes, but what I will counter with is whenever you're developing on something, you get diminishing returns. So initially, you'll make a very large step. And then every kind of iteration on it, you're not making the same magnitude step every time. You've gotten 80% of the way there on the first step. The second step gets you to 85. The third step gets you to 83, you know, 87, 87 90, on and on and on. So my hope is 23 was the 90% step. Mm. Does this new car bring them to 91 or does it bring them to 95? If it's 95, they win 24 races. Is what year? You're getting that. I mean, based on what we've seen, that's entirely possible. Um, it's going to be difficult because everybody else is making steps. Mm -hmm. Where they nailed it, everybody else didn't. So their steps each year and the time they have to develop is more. Or not the time they have to develop, the resources they have to develop is more. Mm -hmm. So McLaren, for example is seeing what they've done. They made a massive step last year and they have more resources at hand to develop that car. So it's a, it's one of these things where you're fighting, you're fighting the potential to develop the car and your competition. Are they going to catch you before you get to the point where you can win 24 races? That's a good point. Yeah. For, I remember Brundle said as much, uh, would Ferrari want the extra wind tunnel time? when they were fighting Mercedes. Like, yeah, you lose in the short term, but it might help you long term. Neither of you are really winning anything with second place. So would, would you not be better off to have more time to develop to potentially close that gap? And yeah, Red Bull doesn't have any luxury by being so damn good. And uh, I wanna just comment on one thing you said that it, it sounds like all the things Newey wanted to change and improve about the car were stuff he stole from Mercedes or ideas he stole from Mercedes. And wouldn't that make it so ironic and funny that after all this talk by McLaren, Austin Martin, Ferrari, Mercedes being like, we just need to design a better car to catch Red Bull, that they never copy Red Bull and Red Bull copies them to push them that much further. Wouldn't that be hilarious, I think? Absolutely. But this is something we see in engineering all the time. The biggest thing I tell the guys that work for me is you can't check your own work. Like, I have confidence in what I do, but I can't count the number of times I've put something on paper and then I've thought it's ready to go to production and I show it to somebody else and they go, oh, well, what about this? 
and it's the stupidest little mistake or it's mm. something you didn't consider, right? You know, why is that welded? Can it be glued or can it be riveted to make it cheaper? Whatever it is, someone always has another way to look at it. And I think that's what's happening with Nui. He's got his brain on, he's looking at it a certain way, and then someone goes completely to left field and he goes, oh shit, well, that and that and that I can use, mm. right? Without changing the the core of his idea, of, ex- of his exceptional idea. Well, that's why he's waited mm. 24. He's seen these elements and he goes, well, I can't, if I do that on this car, it's not going to do anything or it'll take us in a direction I don't want to go. So come 24, I'm going to take my ideas, I'm going to take their ideas, I'm going to make them work together. Now the trick is, were they able to do that in a way that it made a faster car? Is speed, do they really need speed? They do, are they assuming that everybody else got faster? That everybody, nobody can upgrade their power units, right? If, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, so did, I, okay, explain yourself. But a faster car doesn't necessarily mean it's driving at a higher top speed. A faster car means it can corner faster, it gets around the lap faster. More momentum, more keeping the momentum type of thing. Right. Okay. So in a car that's heavily affected by downforce, like in a go-kart, for example, go-karts are momentum carts. Yeah, that's why I was, that's you, all I, that's what I know. So that's why I use that. Yeah. 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 You want to be able to not lose your speed going through a corner. Mm-hmm. Right. And that applies to anything. But the problem with go-karts is they're so underpowered that if you lose that speed, it takes so long to build them up. Yes. F1 cars don't suffer from that. So you don't lose as much let's say average speed over the lap. But if you can keep your foot in it longer and break later and get on the power faster because you have more downforce, it's not overheating the tires, the car doesn't want to break away, your lap time is going to get shorter. So it's not about the engine going faster or having more power output. Hmm. It's how can I make this thing get from a 1 minute 20 to a 1 minute 19, right? Yes, it was the fastest car last year, but there's no guarantee that McLaren hasn't found something that makes up that time. I wonder. I'm I'm excited for next week's discussion. I kind I really want to talk about my thoughts on McLaren. It seems like you have um, you're a little bit optimistic on them. We won't, like I said, we won't delve too much into it. But I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see what happens at the beginning of the season. I have a feeling they fall a little flat. I really do. I don't know what you think, but. I mean, we saw it last year where everybody was optimistic about them based on 22. Like 22, that wasn't fantastic, but Norris showed some pace. 23, they came out and were absolutely abysmal. Mm -hmm. And then we all started questioning. Okay, early on, they said, okay, don't judge us on this. Wait till closer to the middle part of the season and we'll have an improvement. And everybody kind of went, yeah, okay, we'll see. And then sure enough... Holy shit. And this is now also a full year of development with uh, Stella, who seemed to be the difference maker. Seidel leaving left them with garbage. So it doesn't bode well for, for Audi. Hopefully he, he maybe just he left them like a poison pill and was like, fuck you guys on my way out. But uh, yeah, a full year under Stella. Let's see if he's the real deal now because he definitely they definitely seem to trend in the right direction under him. One thing I will say is that Seidel was brought into McLaren not in a technical role, 
right? So mm-hmm. he didn't have anything to do with the development of the car. Yes, he led the team, but that McLaren team was kind of in a management vacuum for a long time. Um, what, so, is, what is Zach Brown? <laughs> he's the CEO. Oh, so he's just there. Yeah. You see, the way he talks, he talks like he knows everything. He's American. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Andreas, or sorry, not Andreas Seidel, um, Andreas Stella is one of the technical guys at McLaren. Mm-hmm. They promoted him to team principal. So really, that turd of a car that started the season was partly on Stella. I can't remember which technical element he came from, but... Oh, okay. That's good to know. But clearly, they fixed it. Hmm. But it wasn't like it, it sounded like the way Norris and Piastri were talking at times that, oh, thank God for Stella. He, he pushed us over the <coughs> over the over the hump. He got us out of the out of the bottom. He, so that's interesting. Another thing to consider with McLaren is they have been using Toyota's wind tunnel in Cologne. What does that mean? They don't have their own wind tunnel. So hmm. when Toyota was in F1. They invested in setting up a wind tunnel in Cologne, Germany to do all the development work. Toyota uses it for Le Mans. They rent it out. They do all sorts of stuff. The wind tunnel is astronomically expensive to run. Hmm. Um, So they've been using that, and they've had correlation problems between the simulations and the wind tunnel data. So a couple years ago, they invested in a new wind tunnel in their facility in England, and that came online in 23. Okay. So the 23 upgrades were designed partly in Cologne, partly in Woking. And the 24 car is designed entirely in Woking. Okay. Well, so if the upgrades are any sort of evidence of what they can do with a new wind tunnel and what seems to be good correlation, 24 should be a step. That's interesting. That's a good... Uh good um, nugget to add to the discussion yeah okay so like we may not see them fall flat again but i don't know time will tell um i wanted to add one thing to that whole discussion how has nobody coaxed ross braun out of retirement because you you nailed it Nui is in a league of his own absolutely in a league of his own like he designed the 90s the late 90s mclaren he designed Senna's Williams, oops, um, but Hill still took the fight to Schumacher sometimes, occasionally. The 96, 97, or I guess 96 was designed Williams. Was Sorry, des- can I stop you there for a second? Go on. Senna's car that was absolute garbage was magic the year before Senna got there because of active suspension. Okay. So it was a good idea, just unfortunately wrong place, wrong time for Ayrton. Right. It was designed around active suspension, and then they took the active suspension away. The FIA outlawed it. Uh, but guess who was responsible for active suspension? Adrian Newey? No. Ross. He designed that car around it. Someone who very unceremoniously got kicked out of Williams. Ooh. I got to think about this one. I was about to... It's not Ron Dennis, right? He went from Williams to Mercedes back to Williams to be kicked out of F1 entirely. Is it an engineer or is it was he once a team principal? He was an engineer and I think lead technical director under Claire Williams. 
Hmm. It's not Briatore. That's who I was thinking. Getting kicked out of F1 entirely. No. Hmm. I don't know. I can't think of this one. Patty Lowe. Patty Lowe. Give us a history lesson on Patty, Patty Lowe. His history is he's had some success. So he, he was at Williams when they were winning with Newey and Pat Simmons and um, I believe Patrick Hurd, Patrick Head. He's had success at Mercedes. He was there when their domination started. And following a trend of high-profile names going to high-profile positions at Williams, left Mercedes to go lead Williams into success. Left McLaren Mercedes, you mean? No, left Mercedes. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, so now, so now he's back at Williams and helping. He was, was. Uh, so the tw- when did was he kicked out? Twenty twenty two, twenty three. No. When did Stroll race for them? Oh, okay. So when they were still somewhat decent, right before they fell off a cliff. No, it's the years that they fell off the cliff where they were on the bottom, the beginning of their fall. So I want to say it was. 2018, I think, was the last time Stroll was there. It was Massa and... Bottas. Bottas, and then it was Bottas and Stroll, right? They did decent. No, it was Massa and Stroll, because Bottas left for um, Uh, Mercedes. That's right. So Massa came back. He retired, and he came back because Bottas left. Mm -hmm. So it was that year they hit the bottom, and I think the year after that, it was Bottas and Stroll. No, it was... Stroll and... um, Sorok. Yeah, (laughs) oof. Sergey Sorotkin. Yeah. Can't think of one good race he did. No, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, so the two of them that year, the car was late to testing in Barcelona. Sounds familiar. Um, they didn't do any running on the first day. They didn't do any running on the second day. And it was, I'm pretty sure it was only the third day that they got out there. And everybody was asking, you know, what's going on, Patty, what happened? Because you're supposed to deliver a car that would bring Williams back to the top. Oh, boy. And very soon after that, Patty went on a leave of absence for personal reasons and never returned. Did the budget go up his nose or what, uh, what happened there? I think he got in over his head. I think he did a lot of great work when he had a team of good people to work with. Mm. But when you gave him sole responsibility to make a car... Didn't happen. He did not have it. Him and Newey, I guess, did, was Newey in Formula One when the, they designed the 92 car, the 92 Williams. That's a question to ask because um, that Williams crushed that McLaren, the legendary McLaren. But yeah. I don't believe he was at Williams in 92. Yeah, there's... Um, I guess here, well, while you're looking that up, we'll just start talking about our our next topic. Uh, and it's going to be about Red Bull. Oh, my bad. He was there. Oh, he was there, yeah. He's at Williams 91 to 96. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. So him, they, him and Newey, I think, left 96, 97. Newey goes to McLaren, turns them back around. And by the end of that season, they won a race and never looked back for the next two seasons. And then uh, I then this is the whole point of this discussion. The only one who ever beat Newey head on was Ross Braun, and he didn't exactly beat Newey because the Ferrari was never better 
than the McLaren Mercedes until 2001. And that and that's when Hakkinen took a quote unquote leave of absence. He was much like Charles Leclerc. His spirit was broken by Michael Schumacher. Maybe even before that by Eddie Irvine when he cried in the bushes at Monza. <laughs> that definitely wasn't his best moment. But anyways, yeah. So this was a good uh, historical lesson we talked about uh, about all the about engineering history. And this I think was a good deep dive. I I really liked where we went with this. Well, a lot longer than I thought we would because we have a big discussion to talk about right now. So What's we're gonna that? we're gonna switch <clears throat> gears. We didn't. We only got to touch on it last week. But uh, Sergio Perez. So we're going back a bit to the 2025 driver market. You, you and I deduced at the end of last week's podcast. We said it's pretty obvious he's done at Red Bull. And I have a lot of thoughts on that because realistically, is that the best option for Red Bull? Because it seems like Red Bull, and this is what I think has got them as far as as they've gotten, is they've never been under the spotlight or scrutinized by the media in a way that's damaging. Like we talked about it last week, Ferrari had their 2019 issues. Uh, Mercedes got, well, in their mind, they got screwed out of 2021, right? Because I think in a way the, the worm had turned on Hamilton, Hamilton's attitude that year kind of made everybody think, well, man, he is quite a baby and nobody scrutinized the engine change like we talked about, but the, the one second gain in the engine change, but no, but nobody really gave a, I want to say like a, a damaging legal attack on that title fight. Whereas I think maybe if that was done in 2018, 2019, they would have done everything they could to get that title back to Lewis Hamilton. And I make this point just to say that Red Bull always seems to have the media maneuvered in a way that benefits them. And I think they know what's coming if Verstappen keeps winning like this. And I talked about it a little bit in some of my other podcasts. If Verstappen keeps dominating to the point where everybody gets bored and talks about all the, like, like what a breath of fresh air Singapore 2023 was because someone different finally won. Right? If that keeps, if that keeps happening, does, does the media go after, or even Formula One, start going after Max Verstappen? Do they start changing to the rules to take him down a peg? Do they start changing the rules in order to make the title fights more interesting, quote unquote? This is what they did in 2005. I think Red Bull, I think Horner, they all see that. And they think, okay, how about instead of us losing or us getting handicapped or kneecapped, how about we change our driver and make someone who can be more competitive in the same car. And I think that is a very big mistake because the great teams do not have, and we, and like, once again, we do, we talked about this last week about Hamilton and Leclerc, talked about Leclerc and Sainz, and we're going to talk about this next, next week. I wonder if Piastri and Norris are going to have the same problem. Ricardo, Ricardo and Norris had the same problem in a sense. They didn't know who the clear number one is. Great teams have a clear number one. They have a clear number one right now. 
You've won the constructors two years in a row. Perez came second last year. Yeah, he had some struggles. But what are you really going to gain as a team if you offload, offload Sergio Perez to get someone like Alando Norris, which apparently they was offered a, a three-year contract? What are you really going to gain to bring back Alex Albon? Are what, like, what's really going to be the difference? The one that made my head explode was Yuki Tsunoda. Because Yuki Tsunoda, has, as he said in interviews, he has no interest in winning. He doesn't care if he wins races. He wants to open a restaurant. That's his dream, interesting enough. Yeah, maybe <clears throat> you should go do that right now. And the one that made me throw things against the wall was that, hey, let's bring in Nico Hulkenberg. That would be a great foil to Max Verstappen. You mean the guy that Sergio Perez consistently beat in the same, same teams when they were teammates? Sauber and Force India? I was, I was looking at Sergio Perez's um, stats up until, I want to say 2016, 2017. He had like almost 10 podiums in the same time. Do you have the number with you right now? Do you know the number off by heart? Um, not the entire number, but we can calculate it real quick. It was, it was probably close to 10 podiums where Hulkenberg had zero in the same Three, time. Four, five, six, seven, eight... Nine, ten. Ten. Wow. I completely made that up. Um, <laughs> All with Force India. All with Force India. Whereas po- Hulkenberg had zero. What do you th- like? You really think Hulkenberg is going to come into a car that's hard to drive and make it any better? And this is what I want to go off to. And I, I don't want to spoil too much of next week's episode. But if Lando Norris is having a hard time now, this is what? He's going to be his sixth season at McLaren, maybe his seventh. If he's having a hard time developing that car and we touched on it quickly maybe it was just a wind tunnel issue but if he had a hard time getting his hands around the mclaren he's not going to do any better getting his hands around max verstappen's red bull but they don't want him to that's the problem correct but but that's but that's my point is that if you're red bull you don't really want that fight between verstappen and, and say a norris you don't really want that fight between, like one one people were some people were saying, oh maybe Leclerc or Hamilton. Why? Why? What's it going to gain Red Bull if they're fighting all the time? And are they even going to be fighting? This is Max Verstappen's car. This is Max Verstappen's car, and of course Sergio Perez is going to have a hard time driving Max Verstappen's car, but he knows his place. Right. So can I stop you there then? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was ranting <clears throat> a little bit. I think the comments we made on the other episode about Sergio being done. So clearly his contract is over at 2025. Red Bull has no obligation to keep him past that. Mm -hmm. This is really going to be a matter of, is he willing to play the team game? All right. So Sergio obviously is a very good driver. Um, He's had a career where he more or less stayed with one team. Like we said, got 10 podiums with that team in uncompetitive hardware. Like Force India was never a threat for a championship. And, and and I want to add this too. Same with Sauber in 2012. He had two second places. Almost a win at the, it was uh, one of the early Grand Prix. Malaysia. It was, yeah, he, he fought with Alonso. He had the lead for a bit, made a mistake and spun off. And Alonso took the win. 
No, he had three podiums at Sauber. Oh, in that 2012 season? 2012, yep. Yeah. Oh, good for him. Wow. I Which know. probably got him the drive at McLaren and that the was, following year. And that was a, a dead end. Yeah. But that McLaren was falling apart at that point in time. Sure. Yeah. Anyways, con- continue. Do They don't want a team fight. They don't want a team fight. So obviously Sergio's a good driver. I want to say he knows likely that he doesn't have many years left in him in the general scheme of what an F1 driver's career looks like. Um, And he's probably thinking, hey, I have a championship winning car. I need to get my championship. I need to do my Nico Rosberg. But okay. I don't think I don't think anybody's going to do that in that Red Bull. I, I agree, but this is where I'm going. So, <clears throat> if he's if that's what's in his mind, and he sets out this year to properly challenge Max Verstappen, Red Bull doesn't want to piss Max off because Max has a yes. long career in him. And your comment about thinking, let's. Let's put our thumb on the scale so that the FIA and everybody else doesn't push for changes to get Max out of here. Or not just get him out of here, just to make him uncompetitive, which is right. which is what they did to Schumacher, which is what they quasi did to Vettel in 2013, or 2014. Anyways, go on. So I don't think Red Bull's going down that route because Red Bull has enough sway with the way things are currently done that their vote's needed. And the oh. fact that they control two teams, their votes needed even more. Mercedes controls five teams uh, off the record, as far as everybody's concerned. But they control themselves, Austin Martin, Williams, McLaren, four teams. I guarantee you Lawrence Stroll tells Toto to go fuck himself. <laughs> but then maybe the engineer, but it could be like a, a Donald Trump type of thing where like Lawrence Stroll thinks he's in charge. But then the engineers go and listen to Toto behind the scenes. Could be something like that. Whereas someone, I'm just trying to make a comment of someone who thinks he's in charge, but he's not really in charge. Lawrence Stroll could buy Total Wolf. Aren't they both billionaires? That's how much money Lawrence Stroll has. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, the point I'm trying to make is it didn't stop the FIA from benefiting Red Bull in Abu Dhabi 2021. No matter how much sway Mercedes has. I think it gets to a point when there's enough fever pitch in the media. And, I, and like I said, we've seen this happen before. I, I disagree with that because Mercedes got a man who did nothing wrong fired simply because of their sway in Formula One. The FIA came out and said Massey did nothing wrong. As per the rules, he was completely within his rights to do what he did. Yet he still lost his fucking job because Toto's a little bitch. Yeah, that was, I think that was their olive branch. You know what I mean? Like they didn't give them the title, but they said, "Okay, let's get rid of." And you're you're right. They, so that means Mercedes still does have some some sway, but that was their olive branch, just saying, "Okay, how about how about we just kick this guy to the curb, and then bring him back in another capacity?" Didn't didn't he fuck something up again this year, this past season? He fucked something up. I think it was in Vegas or something. He wasn't there. No, he he's he had a new role towards the end of the. Uh, we'll find out. This is the one of the corrections we'll add in the in the next episode. The point, I'm, the point I'm making is, is you're right. Dude, Red Bull does have a lot of sway, but at some point it doesn't matter. Some point it doesn't matter. Like Ross Braun and John Todd and Michael Schumacher were very popular, but it didn't stop the FIA from kneecapping them in 2005. 
You know, you know what I mean? Like sometimes I think, I think Red Bull is just recognizing that we have to give, let's use an ancient Rome example. We have to give the crowd what he wants. Like Caesar is looking and saying, okay, we got to give a thumbs up because everybody likes this, this fighter or a thumbs down because everybody hates them. And I, I think that's the calculus because the point I was trying to make is I think Sergio Perez is perfect for that seat. I think he's exactly what you want. Okay. I will counter that with, look at what happened in Brazil, 2022, I believe. Mm -hmm. They asked Verstappen to let him, to let Perez through so that Perez could finish second. Right. And Max gave him the big old, fuck you, that's not happening. Don't ever ask me that again. And all the best drivers do that. All of them. Every last one of them. But yeah, go on. So... This, I think, is where Red Bull needs to be careful. So if your point is valid and they're saying, okay, well, we can't, we can't just dominate 24 races for the next six years. Mm-hmm. Because if they do that, someone's going to put a foot down and they're going to change something. Verstappen's contract is done in 2028. So yeah, you're right. Six years. Like there's, there's a long time until then. Right. Mm-hmm. So the other side of that coin is they can't piss off Max because they've paid Max so much fucking money that I guarantee you he can buy out his own contract. Red Bull, you're, you're absolutely right. Red Bull can't piss off Max. Yes. Can the FIA supersede both of them? They've done it before. Sure. But at the same time, Max has made it clear that when he no longer enjoys racing, he's going to leave. So if Red Bull pisses him off, but he still wants to race in F1, he's going to go to Ferrari. He's going to go to Mercedes. He's going to go wherever the fuck he wants mm. because they're going to pay him. So Red Bull wants to hold on to him. If the FIA does something that shoestrings Max or hamstrings Max, sorry, he's going to say, that's fine. Fuck you. I no longer enjoy driving here. I'm going to go to Le Mans. I'm going to build my own team. I'm going to you know, me and my dad will race 24 hours at Le Mans. Whatever the fuck he wants to do. Because the kid is, what, 26 years old, 28 years old? 97. 27. 27. He's 27 years old. He's got three world champions, championships. He's got his private jet. He's got all the money that he could ever want. He's got Danny Kivat's girlfriend. I mean, um, Nelson Piquet's daughter. Kelly PK. He's raising Danny Kivat's son, the daughter. No, he's not. Yes. You Beta cuck, Max Verstappen. <laughs> Listen to Andrew Tate and come back to us. <laughs> and apparently he's a very sweet guy and he loves that little girl and it's great. It's just comical to me that he's he's in that position. But anyway. Why do all the best drivers, not to get off topic, steal other people's girlfriends? Schumacher stole Franson's girlfriend. Okay, I guess there's only two. But <laughs> the point is, two of the best drivers that we've seen grown, grown up with just get your own girlfriends guys i guarantee you there's more than that and it's a matter of they spend every weekend almost all year in the same circles of people (laughs) ah and and to add to that max and schumacher dominated so they wanted to dominate in another aspect they wanted to dominate those guys in another way okay anyways (laughs) i mean i'll give it to you Max put Danny in his place on the track, and apparently he put him on in his place 
in other places. God, the stories we must hear <laughs> coming out of Kivat. Holy crap. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, we were on Perez and Verstappen. Yeah, I, so. want, I want to add something because you were absolutely right. Red Bull doesn't want to piss off Max Verstappen. So, in this, I think we're arguing with each other while agreeing with each other because I think we're coming to the same conclusions while just adding, I think, like saying, okay, we'll also think of this. You're right. Like, so if you don't want to piss off Max Verstappen, who is going to play the team game? Because he has, even though he's kind of bitter about it. It was what you were trying to say about Brazil. Sergio's kind of bitter about that. And I think I know where you're going with that in the sense that I want to give, I want to give a fuck you and leave, I think is your, is your position. You, you think maybe Sergio doesn't want that seat no matter what? No. I think Sergio wants it because he has the idea that he can sneak into a championship. What I'm thinking is Red Bull is looking at it from a standpoint of he's doing the job. He got second place. He can get second place this year because that's what we want. We want to dominate the constructors. We want to dominate the drivers. We want our guys to be there. We want to be on top all across the board. Absolutely. Who's going to be our best bet to do that 26 onward? Is it Perez, who has no real allegiance to Red Bull? No. Yes, they saved his career because he was out before he joined Red Bull. Yeah, right? I remember that. But ultimately, he's coming to the end of his career. He doesn't owe Red Bull anything. He's driven for them for three seasons. He's gotten good results. He came second, right? 26 onward, is he more of a liability for Red Bull? Is it going to be this, he's going to push too hard, he's going to crash, he's going to cause inter-team strife? Is he more of a liability? Is it better to get someone like Daniel Ricciardo or Alex Albon who have been in and out of Red Bull, right? Mm. Who at this point more or less know their place. Yes, go on. So is it better to put Danny Rick in that seat, assuming he hasn't been talking to Toto for Lewis's seat? Mm -hmm. Is it better to put him in that seat where he knows, I'll get some race wins, but I'm not going to rock the boat because I love racing, I'm in a dominant car, I'm going to be winning again, and I'm okay with second. And, and to that point, he's the only one who makes sense to me to replace Sergio Perez. But that's not the names being thrown around. That's why I went on the rant and basically said, shame on you, F1 Media, who every year seems to do this to one driver. Yes, Nikita Mazepin deserved it in 2021. Mick Schumacher didn't really deserve it in 2022. And now, like, you've been going hard on Perez all of last year. Every article was about, like, oh, is he, is he going to get re-signed? Oh, what's wrong with him? Like, I don't know if there was anything wrong with him. He did bad qualifying. Had some bad qualifying, some bad races. Some of those those qualifying's weren't his fault, like the stupid track limits he got uh, cost him some Q3 appearances. I know in the first half you were saying Albon was in Q3 in the Williams more than Perez was in the Red Bull, which is kind of arguing against my point. But I just I think if you have a good racer and you have someone who's a solid second driver, why would you give that up for Ricardo? Makes sense. But not not Norris, not necessarily Albon. And I, I'm like I talked about last week, Albon, I think if he was smart, he would say no to that. Well, let me put it this way. 
This is not Red Bull saying that Hulkenberg should go there, saying that Fernando should go there. Correct. These are the pundits who, frankly, their entire job is to throw shit out there and see what sticks. A lot of it does, though. That's You're right. Go but on. This, is all, this is another point I wanted to make about Red Bull. Red Bull is almost a victim of their own fame in the sense that when you look at what happened with Gasly... Verstappen, Kvyat, Albin, they all went through the same kind of arc, right? Obviously, Verstappen is stuck around, but someone fucked up and got replaced. Someone fucked up and got replaced, and it all happened very quickly, and the media picked up on this, and, oh, Red Bull's ruthless. They don't give their drivers any time. Mm. I want to say, if the media hadn't focused on Albin's full season being inconsistent he'd still be there that's a very good point when i look at the at the data there's no reason albin needed to leave no he had some bad performances quote unquote bad performances but holy fuck the guy was scoring points consistently also he was a he was a first year rookie i said last week thrown thrown into a position where it's like okay we need you to win the, the constructors and he's like, I, I'm a rookie. I'm a rookie. Like, let me develop a little bit here. I know this is a, this is a good car, but like, I still need some time to develop. Right. But that car that year wasn't as good as it is now. Mm-hmm. Right. And this brings me to where I want to end up here. And what we've talked about a bit is that that car is built around Max Verstappen. And from the day he entered that team and won on his debut in Spain, they've been tailoring that car to him. It's part of the reason that Ricardo left. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason they can't find a teammate that's any good. Because that car is for Stappen's car, like you said. But that's what makes dynasties. It Absolutely. Does. I'm, does. Not, it, yeah. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the wrong thing to do is to bow to the media pressure and start believing your own mythology, basically, and saying, oh, this guy's not fucking any good because he's getting seventh, eighth, ninth place when Max is getting. One, two, three, four. So this could be, in a sense, an issue. Like, it could be part of the war between Marco and Horner. Because Horner seems to stand firmly behind Perez, whereas Marco goes off on him and says the lazy Mexican comment, which was like... I mean, Marco's a racist Austrian, so he just needs to not be an F1 anymore. He looks like he has, like, Nazi paraphernalia in the attic somewhere. He he looks like it, and his and definitely his father and his grandfather kept it for good reason. Like they they probably told themselves, you know what, maybe it'll be worth something one day. Was he really that bad? <laughs> no and, comment. No comment. Anyways, um, <laughs> this is we can also now segue into the final topic of the night. I think oh, I, we're not we're not done with this. Let me. All right. Get into this a little bit. I'll share some information. So I, I've run an analysis on Perez and Verstappen over 22 and 23. And the reason I've done 22-23 is because it's the ground effect cars. Okay. So it's the same type of car because comparing ground effect to non-ground effect, it's too much of a shift. So... Two drivers, two years, one style of car. We have 
2022, similar finish rates. They had some reliability issues. A couple of engines blew up early on, fueling problems, whatever it was. But we have Perez and Verstappen actually fairly even. Their average finishing place was third and fourth. Standard deviation, so a measure of how consistent they were, also fairly similar. They both won a race, and they both finished at the bottom, 19th and 18th. Verstappen actually finished 19th, and Perez's lowest finish in 22 was 18th. Oh, okay. Right? So when I run that year, 22, I get no difference in variance. I get no difference in means, but the means aren't equivalent. Well, Perez is going to be measured on a different metric, right? Because he's not, he's not going to be expected to be max, is what you're trying to say. Well, no, that's not what that says at all. Oh. So the variance not being different means that the consistency between the two is the same. They're both finishing equally high and equally low, and the spread between them is similar. The means, so means is your average, right? Average, so out of 22 races that year, wasn't it? Or 21 or 22? Whatever it is. Yeah. So your average finishing place, third and fourth, Yes, it's a different number, right? Sergio technically finished an average of fourth, where Max finished an average of third. It looks like there's a difference, but based on the variances and everything involved in the statistical analysis, they come from the same population. Well, this this was the final topic, was talking about how you how you calculate this. Do you want to explain? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought that yeah. we... Yeah, the, the, sorry. I I just wanted you to explain that because I'm I'm assuming most of our listeners aren't mathematical like us. And frankly, yeah. I don't want to put most of them to sleep. <laughs> but, but I can I can go into it a bit. The variance is well. How do you calculate an individual driver's variance? Okay. But like without getting too. <laughs> Because cause Sergio and Max have a different variance because they finish in different positions. Do they? Is that not what it's saying? Well, the analysis is saying that they don't have a different variance. Oh, okay. The variance is the same. So the idea of this analysis is you have a population of data. In this case, it's two populations that we're trying to compare. The first one is Max's finishes over the season. The second one is Sergio's finishes over the season. What I've done is I've taken out any of the DNFs, but I've left in any of the qualifications that were 90% of the race. So if a driver finished, like I guess it did 44 of 50 laps, that's that's not 90%, I guess, but four, it would be 47 of 50 laps. Right. It would be, they, they finished, that still counts as a race finish. And that is an FIA designation. Okay. So they do not get qualified as a position unless they finish 90% of the race. So you may see it on the race, a first lap incident, and two people get knocked out. They show up as 19 and 20, but in the official record, they don't get qualified because they didn't complete 90%. Mm-hmm. If it's a 70-lap race and I go out on lap 69, giggity, <laughs> um, I get qualified as whatever position that was. Okay. Right? So I've left in, my data shows finished positions. Some of these finished positions are legitimate retirements, but they're retirements after 90%. Mm -hmm. 
I've taken out any of the retirements that are not qualified. So anything less than 90% gets kicked out because it's a zero. So when we look at those two populations, the idea of this test is, is the population equal? So is the distribution of this population the same? As in like if Sergio DNF'd before 90%. And forget about those because those aren't included. Okay, so but, the, but what I was trying to say is the total amount of races in this in both populations could be different if Sergio DNF'd more non ninety percent races than Max. Yes, okay. and that comes into the analysis after. So when we look at variance, it's how wide is this spread? So you have a population. What are the high and low and individual movements? individual samples in that population how far apart are they race in race to race essentially yes okay cool if they're the same you can assume or you can um, draw the conclusion from the data that they're equal okay it's the same with the means so the average, yes, the average, if you calculate it, is different by one. But when we're talking about populations of data, and this, it tends to work better if you have a consistent data set and a large data set. Mm -hmm. Years. Yes. Yeah. Here we don't have that luxury, so we're saying the means and the, whether the means are the same or not, takes into account the variance. And there's a lot of background work that goes into all this to say, what test do I run? What statistical test do I run based on the data that I have, right? So you have to have a bit of a background in statistics to say, this is the data I have, these are the tests that I'm gonna run, and this is the meaningful data I can pull from it. I don't wanna bore people too much with that, but effectively I have a set of spreadsheets that do all these calculations automatically for me. And, and what you're trying to find is essentially outside of finishing position, what is, are they consistent or are they doing their job? This is all based on finishing, finishing position. So, and the reason I'm using finishing position is because we make the assumption of they get equal hardware. Okay. In 22, the cars are the same. Theoretically. Yes. Yeah. And they should be. There's no reason for them not to be. Right. Obviously, there are setup differences. Sergio likes it one way, Max likes it another, but the base of the car is the same. Mm -hmm. right. And this goes to your point about who's developing the car. Is it Max's car or is it Sergio's car? Mm -hmm. right. And are they able to accommodate each other? Right. If it's Max's car, can Sergio fit into it, per se? So when it comes to variance, what we're drawing from 2022 is that they're both, let's say, equally comfortable. They're both finishing high. They're both finishing low. The individual finishes deviate equally between the two. The means, so their average finishing position, can be drawn from the same population. So if you were to put both of their data together, the overall population wouldn't change. It would be like one set of data. That being said, the means are not equivalent. That, yeah, that's the point I was trying to 
trying to make. Like, yeah, their mean is going to be different, the average finishing position, but just because it's a little different, it doesn't necessarily mean they're com they're way off. Like, if Max's average was three and Sergio's average was five, it doesn't necessarily mean is that's what you're trying to say. Yes. Right? Okay. And another way to look at it is Red Bull's overall finishing position is X. If I take Sergio's finishes, they're one side of the average. If I take Verstappen's finishes, they're the other side of the average, but they come from the greater population. Mm -hmm. All right. If I were to do this with Max and Logan Sargent, it would be very drastically different. Ma Max and Logan Sargent would be three standard deviations from each other. 20 standard deviations. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's not an actual number that I've calculated. I'm just saying... 20, team, 20 drivers on the grid, you've got number one and number 20. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I was just trying to say maybe three because usually a standard deviation graph for those that take statistics, it's three standard deviations is the 90th percentile. 90th no. Perc no? Three standard deviations is 99.97. Okay, well, yeah. And this, <laughs> it's... Um, what I've used for this because the number because you've got granular positions, it's one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. Having half a position or a fraction of a position doesn't make sense, right? So using plus or minus three standard deviations to give you ninety nine point nine is a little ridiculous because then everybody has a chance to finish in first place. Okay, right? Because we have guys that are. F average 12th position finishers which is nico hulkenberg mm -hmm. but his standard deviation is 4.2 so from for 4.2 from the mean yes okay yeah. so if you do th plus or minus three standard deviations four times three is 12 oh wow so you get first place or 24th which there is no 24th, mm -hmm. just like there is no zero, right? So if you capture plus or minus two standard deviations, it's 95%. So you're covering 95% of the population with plus or minus two standard deviations or 90, 97. It's high, mm -hmm. right? So I'm still working on that overall, but back to Perez and Max, the non-equivalency part of it comes from the minor deviation in setup and comfort with the car right so the means are equal the variance is equal they're not as comfortable and it's clear that max has when we look at the means and the non-equivalence max is higher in the finishing order than perez mm -hmm. so max is more comfortable with the car it's his car effectively when we look at 23 sorry one moment while i pull this up if we look at 23 that stat changes a bit because we have a 100 percent finish record with verstappen mm -hmm. which is virtually unheard of in f1 yes like the car took a massive reliability step in 23 they didn't have a single fucking problem max finished 100% of the races. Sergio did not. No. When we look at this data, we see the variances are different. The means are different. So 23, there is a clear offset. Sergio fucked it up. 
he was not able to handle that car the way Max was. And again, I just want to reiterate that Sergio came in second place. Yes. So he is the second best driver on the grid. And that is Red Bull's aim, right? They have the best car. They've got the best drivers. They want to have one, two finishes all the time. Realistically, that's not possible. Not always, no. Yeah. So we end up with what we have last year, a driver who is struggling to cope with a car that's not developed around him. Mm -hmm. And how do I know that the car is not developed around him? It's because the variances are different. This could be that the media pressure got to Sergio. Or Sergio. I think Sergio got to Sergio. Yeah. Because exactly. he want, it seemed like he wanted to fight for the championship early and then just fell apart. Right. Yeah. So if I look at the standard deviation from 22, for Sergio it was 3.6. So that's a standard deviation of 3.6 positions. If I look at 23, it's 3.7. So when I compare Sergio to Sergio, the variance is not different. The means are not different. The, the means are not equivalent. Sorry, when you said 3.6 and 3.7, you, you meant the mean or you meant the standard deviation? Standard deviation. So we use these 3.6 standard deviations away from 2022 or, 20, or from... No, within 22 and 23. Virtually wow. his standard deviation didn't change. He's just as consistent this year as he was last year. Okay. And he was praised last year. Right. Yeah. When we look at 20 when we look at 22 to 23 comparing Perez to Perez. The interesting part comes when you see the variance is not different. So he's just as inconsistent this year as he was last year. The means are not different. His average finishing position this year is the same as last year. It's also fourth. That's interesting. It's fifth, but oh, again, yeah. it's the statistical populations the means are not equivalent you would think same driver same car your means would be the same and equivalent so this is where i get that the car is developed around max verstappen the car took a step in 23 from 22 to 23 the car got more reliable it got faster for verstappen for verstappen if you look at max verstappen's standard deviation in 22 it's 4.2 it's worse than Perez's was. <laughs> but the analysis tells us that they're more or less equivalent. Small data sets tend to exaggerate these differences. In 23, you want to take a guess at what Verstappen's standard deviation was? Hmm. I want to say like a 1.6. It's too high. Then it maybe it matches his um, average finishing position. Maybe it's like one point three. That's too high. Oh my god! One one point two. That's too high. Oh my god! One point one two. That's my final guess. It is zero point nine. Oh my god! His lowest finishing position was fifth place. <laughs> yeah. And two two seconds. And the rest were wins. Yes. So, when I see things like Perez is just as consistent this year as he was last year, his average finishing position is the same, 
but the average finishing positions are not equivalent. This tells me that it's the same driver in a different car. Which, no shit. Yeah. It's a 23 car versus a 22. That's not the point. It the, should have been the same for both is what you're saying. Right. If yeah. it was equally developed, you would expect an equal step for both drivers. Right? I'm seeing the same thing for Max Verstappen, by the way. If I compare him, variances are different. He got more consistent, and that's clear. He went from 4.2 to 0 0.9 on the standard deviation. His variances are drastically different. The car got more reliable. It got better for him to drive. Mm -hmm. The means are not different. His average finishing place is technically different. His average finishing position in 23 is 1 versus 3. But based on, again, the analysis, you can't say with, with more than 95% confidence that it's different. I don't want to bore people too much with that side of it. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask you a bunch of questions off, off air so that we don't get too boring. And then so I can maybe explain this to the layperson a yeah. little bit easier. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. the same between Max and Sergio, 22 to 23, Max's means are not equivalent. But Max's means aren't equivalent because he just fucking won everything. Mm -hmm. Right? What this tells me is Max is the number one driver and has been the entire time, and the car is developed around Max, mm -hmm. and Sergio is doing his goddamn best to keep up, but the media is screwing him. The media is getting in his head. Yes. And if they were just to shut the fuck up and focus on somebody else, mm -hmm. his, it would be no question that he'd get a seat in 26. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I'm saying. I think, I think we're acting like we're disagreeing when really we completely agree on this, like in the sense that it benefits Red Bull to keep him. It, it makes sense statistically to keep him based on what we see. Absolutely. Yeah, so so what is the real gain here? Yes, I think we understand that maybe Ricardo understands now that he's a number two driver and he's going to maybe take that seat again with open arms and not complain. But I think I think you were making... A point, and maybe we should delve into this. Can Sergio win the title? Based on your statistical analysis, yes, but also on your gut feeling based on what you see. Is there any possible way he can win the title in 24? Because in my opinion, I don't see it. I don't see him doing that, and I don't think that's a problem. Yeah. So this is the interesting side of it. Statistically... Sergio has the potential to win the title. Based on his past, based on like Force India days, based on... Just based on the Red Bull data. Okay. He has a grasp on that car. Now, the anomaly is Verstappen is an outlier. Mm -hmm. If we were looking at F1 as a whole, from any generation of car, any generation of champion, any generation of dominance from any team... We would legitimately say that Verstappen is an outlier. And in statistics, when we're talking about data and reliability and probability and everything else, we can say this is so different than the rest of the, the data that it's not worth considering. And that's where Verstappen is right now. We have never seen 
anybody as dominant as he is. Not even not even Senator Schumacher. Right. Not yeah. even Senator Schumacher Prost. They've all had these periods of utter dominance. Like we had McLaren with Prost and Senna who won whatever it was, 17 of 18 races that year. Yeah, it was, right? it was insane. Yeah. We had Mercedes with Hamilton and Rosberg who won 19 of 20 races, right? Mm-hmm. This is a whole other fucking level. We've got more races. We've got one position, one, one, one race finish off the podium for the guy that won the championship. Like, and no DNFs. Right, and his podium finishes were one and two. He didn't see the third step. That's amazing. That that that's insanity. Yeah. Right. We're talking about other champions like Fernando Alonso, who are either I finish on the podium or I don't finish at all. Mm-hmm. To I finish on the podium, full stop, mm-hmm. with one exception. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm pissed of that one exception. Exactly. The whole team's pissed about that one exception. Any other fucking champion in the history of F1 would have killed to be in this position, but yeah. they can't. No. No, they either didn't have the car, they didn't have the reliability, they didn't have right. the engineer yet. Like, this is a perfect storm. It is. It's almost impossible. So yeah. what I'm trying to say is Perez has a statistical opportunity to win the championship. It's going to take something happening to Verstappen. One engine failure, one disqualification, one injury, whatever it is, that's how Perez wins a championship. Okay, and I asked that question to bring up another question because, I, like you said, like it's, it's going to be damn near impossible. It's, it, Nico Rosberg couldn't do this. If Lewis Hamilton was dominating in this way, there was no way Nico Rosberg could have stepped up and done what what needed to be done. So that's why I don't think Perez can do it. But what's the number that keeps him in 25? What's the number? Because like I wondered, if Perez won four or five races last year, is he scrutinized in the way he was? You no, know, I don't think he is. I, I want, okay, so let, let me ask the question a different way. Does he, if he wins four or five races but has the same qualifying issues, is he scrutinized in the same way? And, and that's, what, that's what I'm asking. What's the number really that keeps yeah. him? So to answer the first part of that, if he has the same qualifying performances but wins four or five races, I think the narrative changes because... Of anything else, the pundits love the comeback. Okay. So, yeah, he's starting in 10th position. But if he goes from 10th to 1st, he's a fucking genius. He starts in 13th. He ends up in 2nd. He's a fucking genius. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing that happens with Hamilton. Starts in 14th, ends up on the podium. Everybody praises him as the best driver. And don't get me wrong. He is a great driver. And that's a phenomenal thing to be able to do. But you're given a car that should be a well, one-two finish every weekend, right? So mm-hmm. the narrative changes. It will start off negative. It will be he can't qualify for shit. And if he's not qualifying in the top three, it's going to be hard to finish in the top three. But if he routinely qualifies 
poorly, but finishes well, the narrative will change. But he was kind of doing that. Well, not really. In the sense that, like, yeah, there were a few races he he finished, like, he he started 12th or 11th, and then he he made his way either not to the podium, close to the podium. And and this is, and I think you brought up a good point. He's got a lot of fourth places here, so you're not wrong. Right. I I think it it is media narrative in the the sense. How do I see this? Well, sorry, I will. I'm looking at the wrong year. 22. He was closer to the podium more regularly. But not 23. 23, you've got 5th, 16th, 4, 6, 6, 4, 8, 10, 4, 4, 4, 4. Right? So, yeah, he's getting up there, but he's also got this spattering of shitty finishes. Mm. And frankly, those shitty finishes are his own doing. It's he's gone for a lunge that didn't work and that you could see from a fucking mile away didn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think people will have less of an issue with Daniel Ricardo than they will Sergio. Who might but but Daniel might have the same problems. No, but historically mm-hmm. Daniel doesn't. Getting around Max's car, you're now how many years out of the Red Bull? I know the Alpha Tari is kinda similar. But it's not getting around Max's car. The issues are like look at um Mexico. Qualified well. Yeah. Qualified well. Made a stupid fucking decision a couple laps into the race. There was no way he was going to get that position. Oh, you mean Perez. I thought we were Perez, talking about Perez. Ricardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought we were talking about Ricardo. Yeah. But you're, you're right. Yeah, I guess he was going for it a lot more than he needed to. And the man of consistency and the man of tire um, management. Right. It, could he use that this year? In yes. a sense. Yes. Okay. What, what I'm what I'm getting at is that what I was trying to say before is about the the media narrative. I I don't think the media is ever going to be behind him no matter what he does. I think they've made up their mind that somebody else needs that car. No. At the moment, yes. At the moment, I think if Sergio. Sergio went to talk to somebody. He went and got his head fixed. He'll come out realizing that his best bet is play the team game, pick up the pieces. The way to fight for a championship is not to go out and try and beat Max. It's to try and be number two. And when Max makes a mistake, which is rare, but Mm -hmm. happens, pick up the pieces. Right? Yeah. It's one of these things where we've had championships where the guy that wins the championship didn't win the most races, but consistently scored more points. Yeah. Right? If I finish 19 of 20 races in second place, but the guy that's ahead of me finishes in 18th, 15th, a position that doesn't score points once or twice, I win. Yeah, and that, that's an argument for consistency. But I, I think... And uh, like I say, if you can't be good, be consistent. I didn't want. I didn't want. I didn't want you to say that, <laughs> because it brings us into the other numbers you have, doesn't it? About a certain somebody whose name I was told not to mention anymore, but you can mention him. <coughs> I mean, I won't go into the level of exhausting detail like we just did. What I will say is, Nick was right 
Oh my God. In the sense that Mick Schumacher probably deserved another year. Wow. He's getting back into the... We're, we're, this podcast is going to get him back on the grid. With our 500 million followers, billion subscribers, it's, it's a matter of time. Another clickbait line. Nick was right a second time. Oh my. In that K Mag is useless. Okay, but that's I'm not I'm not proud of being right about that. Like if you if you see roadkill. This is the point of clickbait. <laughs> but if you see roadkill and you say, Mommy, that's roadkill, or daddy, that's roadkill, like is that kid really smart? You know what I mean? That's what I see with Kevin Magnuson. I don't know why that's the analogy you went for, but okay. I didn't want to use a shit analogy. But maybe this <laughs> is you. a podcast of shitting. Like, you know, maybe we just need to use shit analogies. Maybe that's who we are. But anyway, where I was going with that, <laughs> what the data tells us is that as much as Nick hates Nico Hulkenberg, the best option for Haas right now is Mick Schumacher and Nico Hulkenberg. Okay. That's... Maybe, and maybe maybe you can use the numbers to back it up a little bit. Uh, the point I was making all of those all those times is that you, I was shitting on Nico Hulkenberg because he's an example of 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 some a Formula One going nowhere. You know what I mean? Because he never really picked his career up in any way. And if Formula One wants to grow, you don't put a dead end driver at the expense of a second year. What we agreed upon, he's a second year rookie in a sense. He had to navigate through two different types of cars. And and I had to point out that he was the son of a seven-time world champion. That world champion also did everything for the team that dropped him. All right. Well, I'm going to stop you here. We can edit this out after, but he paused for a second. I need to piss. Okay. And we're back. Much needed. All right. So we're talking about Nico Hulkenberg, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it should have been. And by the way, this was the um, the analysis. I don't know if you read that article I sent you. This was the analysis of the uh, of the Haas chief engineer. He said, "I'd rather have Nico and Mick for the 2023 season." And it mm -hmm. was just sorry. Go on. No, oh, it was just based on Kevin's numbers, like Magnuson's numbers. It just, they just got consistently worse throughout yeah. the year. And it's just like, yeah, he luck box a fifth, fifth place. He luck box the pole where nobody else got to set a time. And and what, like we're supposed to worship him for that? But I wanna say this, in hindsight now, I think the better option was to keep Mick away from Haas because that's a train wreck. It wasn't gonna help with his development and it wasn't necessarily gonna help with his reputation. I think where he is now, he's in a better position to come back and come back strong. Yeah, I would agree with that. And if we look at, again, I did the same analysis I did between Verstappen and Perez to the three Haas drivers in question. Mm -hmm. K-Mag, Mick Schumacher, Nico Hülkenberg. So when we look at 2022, Mick and K-Mag, for all intents and purposes, they are the same, right? The variance is the same, the means are the same. The means are not equivalent, but that comes down to two different human beings driving this car. Yeah, I think Magnussen was the better qualifier, but he also had like five extra seasons in that crappy setup. Right. He understood that Haas better than Mick did. Which goes to my point previously of the known entity, right? Yeah, he's not great, but we at least know how he can perform. 
Hmm. When we look at 23, Nico and K-Mag, variances are not different, means are not different, means are not equivalent. Hmm. It seems not to make a whole lot of fucking difference who drives that car. So, but is it is it better for Hulkenberg or is it better for Magnuson? Well, this is where we look at K-Mag versus K-Mag. 2022 to 2023. Right. We get variance is not different. So he's consistent. Means not different. No improvement. You would expect with a driver that can develop a car, with someone who is working with the engineers to make the car better, you would see a difference year over year. Mm. No. Nothing. We may have seen a bit of an improvement. Um, I can try and look at it here in detail quickly. But ultimately, he got worse. K-Mag year over year got worse. So when we talk about means not equivalent, you can put that down to same driver, different hardware with the assumption that the direction you want to go is your not equivalent mean gets you slightly better, which would indicate that person has developed the car a little bit. Mm-hmm. What this shows me is K-Mag went backwards. Mm-hmm. And well, he'd been going backwards since the fourth race of the season was right. my point of 2022. So that supports yeah. your point, which brings me to Mick and Nico. You hate Nico with a passion. I hate what he represents. He's probably, like I said, a nice human being. You can put him in a car and he'll finish it with it. He won't crash it. That's the nicest thing I can say about him. You have to be there to get the positions. But but, but someone who needs like a perfect situation to get points. Like I make fun of Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc for needing a perfect situation to win. That's a whole different thing. They're going to be on the podium most of the time. Nico needs a perfect situation to get eighth. I just have no respect for that after a while. His highest finish was seventh and K-Mags was tenth. The, uh, yeah. Quote, unquote, seventh. Quote, no, unquote, seventh. But you and I disagree about this, but this is when you're in a racing car and you know it's not a winning racing car, you, the idea is stay in the race. You have to be in it to win it so they say right yeah but but, and he's not winning it but he's there but you would think in 10 seasons he would have pulled a rabbit out of a hat eventually listen i'm not rallying for nico to be in red bull i'm not rallying for nico to go to mclaren i'm just saying if it's nico or k mag give it to nico i i can agree we can come to an agreement on that but the point is like i'm just trying to defend my position of why i come after him it's just at some point and I said this several times already. At some point, you, you got to cut someone who's not performing loose. And back in the day, Heinzelt Frenson lost his seat to Jordan for not getting podiums. He was getting fourths and fifths a lot. It's what they want to do to Perez right now. Yes. But I will, let me share this data with you. Okay. All right. So we're saying Nico has no merit being an F1 and Mick deserves more. 
Okay. That's what you're saying, right? What, well, what I'm saying is Mick deserves a million chances f- from Ferrari, especially for everything his father did for him. And he was given, and he was basically pushed out of Formula One after he crashed in Saudi Arabia. Like, they were ready to drop him then. Sure. Okay. So, Mick versus Nico, in a car that we've established went nowhere between the two years. Mm-hmm. Right? If anything went backwards. Average finishing position. 14th place. For Mick or for both? For both. Okay. Standard deviation. 2.8 for Mick. 2.7 for Nico. Basically the same. They're the same. High position. Six for Mick. Seven for Nico. Hmm. Low position. 17 for Mick. 19 for Nico. Was Nico DNF after 90, 90% of the laps? Or was that a legitimate well, finish? Well, those aren't included. Okay. Right. Right. Okay, so then that was a legitimate finish. But I think I think there was a couple... I think there was... Uh, what was it? Qatar or something. The engine blew up. That's probably what Nico got his 19th at. Because I'll give him this. At least he doesn't come last last. Sure. <laughs> the th- So... What that data tells us is that they're the same driver. In that car, they're getting the exact same amount of performance out of it. Mm-hmm. So if you like Nico, there's no reason to say you shouldn't like Mick. I'm agreeing with you. Okay. I think he didn't deserve to lose his seat. What I will say, Nico finished more positions, more races than Mick did. Mm-hmm. He also finished more posi- more races than K-Mag did. Mm-hmm. And this is a comment I made in my, my summary here. If we're talking about on the count back, so do you know what that means? No. If you have a tie, whether it's drivers or constructors, they go to the count back. Oh, the positions where you finished. Okay. Yes. So if, you, if you're both equal on points, like this almost happened between Verstappen and Hamilton in 2021. Yeah where they were half a point apart, if they had gotten to the point where they were equal on points, it would have gone to the count back who finished higher more times than the other. Mm -hmm. That only happens if you were qualified, which then comes into the 90%. You have to finish 90% of the race to be qualified. KMAG has not such a great finishing rate when it comes to 90%. 23, he finished the same amount of races as Mick did in 22. In 22, he finished one less race than Mick. In 23, he finished two fewer races than Nico. So, if we're looking at what your options are for the next season, you've got Mick and Nico, who are the same driver. You've got K-Mag, who isn't really much different than either of them, but he finishes fewer races. So if I want to protect myself against, hey, there's a tie between me and Williams or me and Alpha at the bottom of the pack, Mm. and I want to get that extra step, I want to make sure my guys are finishing the fucking race. And you can't guarantee that with Magnuson. K-Mag cannot do that. And that goes back to his Renault days. He's not as bad as a Fernando, but he is not a great finisher. Whether it's he can't bring the car home, 
he's too aggressive with it. He's too aggressive in the corners and he crashes too much. I don't, I haven't gone to that level, but ultimately he's not finishing the races. So if Nico's finishing all the races and his, his average finishing place in a standard deviation is equal to Magnuson's, take him over Magnuson. And same with Mick. I think the yeah. team for Haas is Mick and Nico. Now, I agree. He's a reserve driver at Mercedes. And given the history Mercedes has with shoehorning their reserve drivers in. If they got Ocon in there, they can get Mick in there at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Mick's not French. Uh, what does that do with anything? Mick's German. He's got the German back in. There's no German team. Yeah. Ocon got in there because he's French and he's a. Uh, I see. Okay, that's yeah. how we got back into Renault. Okay. Well, there that makes a case for Mick at Audi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, if Haas, I'm like they've been here now. What almost ten years? How did they not have an American driver? Like they they foisted Logan Sargent on us in Williams, which was completely useless. And because they know better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Americans in the sport don't have a have a great history. It was it really pissed me off. Like when I know he's Australian, but Scott Dixon was saying, "Oh, Formula One can learn a thing or two from uh, from Indy." And I'm like, "What exactly?" And he's like, oh, "This is a tougher tougher league." And then I think it was a couple of weeks later, um, Alex Pillow, I think it is the one who's not being sued by McLaren. Is Pillow being sued by by McLaren, or is it Pato Award that's being sued by McLaren? Ugh, at this point, I think it might be both, but <laughs> I think you're right. It's Pillow. It's Pillow. Yeah, he came. He came in. He had that test in Abu Dhabi, and he said, "This is a completely different car." Like he completely contradicted Dixon. Said, "This is a lot tougher to drive." And yeah, so Americans are doing themselves a disservice. Well, keep in mind, Dixon was racing a very different F1 car than Pillow would have. Dixon, I don't think, has been there since the early 2000s. I think he's been straight indie. I don't think he ever did Formula One. Uh, I want to say he had, I, th- I think he drove, no, I'm getting confused with Scott Speed. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Speed. What a short lived career that was. Anyways, uh, we're going late again. <coughs> Do you have anything else? Do you want to, any other statistics you want to talk about before we wrap it up? I mean, I've got everything on every team out there. I've just got to, dive a little deeper into it so i don't think tonight's the night for that okay that's fair i can can i make one comment though you made a me made a point and maybe we'll finish on this latifi versus sergeant do you want to talk about that now you want to talk about that another day well we're talking about it so let's let's do it um <laughs> this is funny everybody hmm. he is nicholas goat tv yeah Do you want to go into the Albin comparisons or do you just want to compare the two of them? You know what? Yeah. Fuck Sergeant and Latifi. Let's talk about Albin because Albin, I think, had the same numbers you did or calculated the same numbers you did because he makes a very similar comment to you in the sense that him versus Sergio wasn't that far off. It wasn't. And I have to do more crunching on that, but he's absolutely right. So let's look at Albin versus Latifi. The... Variance is not different, so they're equally consistent, let's say. In that area, The means are different. Their averaging finishing positions are drastically different. I'm assuming Albin's probably like 12th or 13th and Latifi's like 18th? 
Close. Mm. Albin is 13th mm. average, and Latifi is 16. Mm. Their standard deviation is identical, 2.3. Their high position is identical, ninth place. Mm. Their lows, you can call them the same. It's 18th and 19th. So, first year in that car for Albin. First year in that car for Latifi, because again, we're only talking about 22, 23. Right, that's a totally right. different setup. He, he's been there in Williams for two years, but yes. So then we go to Albin Sargent. Second year in the ground effect car. We have variances are not different. So the car is consistent, let's say, or it's giving each driver a similar consistency. The means are different. Very much. So we have an averaging finish, finishing position of 11th. For Albin, yeah. And 15th for Sargent. Standard deviation for Albin is 2.6 versus 3.0 for Sargent. Wow. Okay. High for Albin is 7. High for Sargent is 10. Mm. Fake 10th, but yeah. It's still a 10th. Mm -hmm. Low for Albin is 16. You want to guess what the low for Sargent is? There was quite a few races he finished 20. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. kind of bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it sounds like Sargent's average position was 15th, whereas Latifi was 16th. But I guess he just didn't have the high Latifi had. Where did we mix them up? Based on this, you can't say one is better than the other. Because oh. it's an average of 16 versus 15. So Sargent finished higher on average than Latifi did. But Latifi finished one position higher in the season than um, Sargent did. Mm. And you can say that that's also artificial because I think there was there were certain circumstances around that ninth place finish for Latifi. But mm. It was half, half a race at Japan. It yeah. was they only had half the laps, yeah. So, to tell the real story, we look at Albin, 22 to 23. 13th versus 11, average finishing place. 2.3 to 2.6, so his consistency got worse. Statistically insignificant. Mm -hmm. Ninth to seventh on the high end. 18 to 16 on the low end. So everything did shift up. Mm-hmm. What that tells us, and again, just to keep it consistent, variance is not different. So the variance is the same. Means are not different. So you can say, statistically, he didn't move up. But the means are not equivalent. And this is where you get into the subtleties of what is a mean shift. Right? Now, this calculation doesn't take into account formula one and all the nonsense it's a statistical calculation so the means not the means being the same is simply saying if i were to run this multiple times over several populations this data falls within one population sure mm. but the means are not equivalent it's indicating that there's an upward trend and that's what i see in this data is that it's not equivalent but year over year it got better so we'll see this year in 24 as i add the data does it continue that trend 
and is 24 statistically significant above 22? Mm. Right? That would indicate that Albin can develop and he is developing a bad car. Mm. And, right? and if he does get better this year, I would argue even harder that he should stay at Williams. Because if you're growing this car, you have a chance to be a legend with a couple of wins here. This goes to your Michael Schumacher thing where he spent five years at Ferrari making a car. Mm-hmm. Albin can do the same thing. I think he can too. And I think, I think you said it perfectly last week. He's never going to win a championship no matter where he is. But, or I guess we could say maybe not, maybe not going to win a championship. I think he's he too much of a nice guy to win a championship. Yeah. That the, you need to be a bit of an asshole. Like Senna was a bit of an asshole. Verstappen's definitely an asshole. Schumacher was nice in person, an asshole on the track. Hamilton, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I think he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. I also said that too about Ricardo. If Ricardo ever took the smile off his face, yeah, he could be a champion too. But yeah, but to the point on Albin, if you can win one to five races at Williams over your lifetime, you will have a more legendary career resurrecting this team than if you went to Red Bull and won 10 races, but you were always second to max. And that's just it. Like, I think in my books, I don't care what anybody else thinks about this, in my books, if Albin can do just that, bring Williams from a 20th place team to a top three team, he's won in my in my books. Exactly. Because you've taken a team that, for one reason or the other, has been on the bottom for the last almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Poor management, poor driver selection, whatever the case is, not enough money. Well, They've been on the fucking bottom. And you've worked with the team over three, four, five years and brought them back. Mm-hmm. You're a driver that deserves to be enough one. Yes. I don't care if you're a nice guy, if you're an asshole. If you've been able to do that, great if you've done that while being a nice guy like Alvin seems to be, he's got a great personality, he's got a good head on his shoulders, fantastic. And, and there have been a lot of comparisons to him and Jensen Button. And Button was just exactly that, a nice guy who helped build Toyota. I think he only got one, maybe two wins there. But like a situation may come up for Alvin in the future if, say, Williams can't afford him or he just... he luck box his way into a situation where he has a one-off season like button did with braun it could happen right mm-hmm, it could and on that note yeah, we're not done with this though just quickly sorry oh, fair enough um latifi versus sergeant so we've established that the car made a step but is latifi versus sergeant worthwhile variance is not different Means are not different. Means are not equivalent. Sergeant is worse than Latifi. Based on the numbers. Based on the numbers. Full stop. Wow. If you're talking about wanting the best driver in the car to get the best results, you made the wrong fucking choice. Hmm. Clearly, Sergeant was about money and nothing else. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe sponsorship in a sense that from or getting in the good books of the FIA. You have an American driver on the grid. They'll probably can leave you alone if, say, there's any fuckery going around. I wouldn't even go that far. I think it was all just money. Who's going to pay more? And they want to they capitalize on the American market. Clearly, that's where Liberty wants to go. 
So yeah. that's what they're doing. Because, I mean, it's not like Latifi didn't bring any money. Yeah, Safina is a pretty big company. Right. Safina and um, Saputo. Oh, that's right. Both big names in the food game. Um, At least in Canada. I don't know. If, uh, I guess Saputo maybe is not so big anywhere else. But Well, Saputo's Italian, so they, they should be big internationally. Well, I thought it was Canadian-based. But yeah, if they're Italian-based, then they're definitely big. But, I mean, I know a couple of people who know the Latifis personally, and they're definitely not hurting for money, that's for sure. Yeah. He had the opportunities to continue his career and decided to go uh, to school instead of to IndyCar. It's it's the Nick DeVries type thing. I got to the pinnacle of motorsport and got kicked the fuck out, so let's go figure out how to be a team boss, essentially. (laughs) Ten races for Nick DeVries, three years for Nicholas Latifi. And again, I think that's Red Bull as a, a, you know, a result of the media press. If it was any other team, Nick would have had that position the entire year, and maybe he turned himself around. He didn't have the, he wouldn't have had the pressure to perform, and he'd still probably be there. Look at the numbers. This can be your next project. Look at the numbers of Piastri versus DeVries. Those first ten races, Can't I've looked at them. Hmm? Can't do it. Oh, because not enough of a sample size? Yep. Okay. Well, I've looked at the finishing positions without using your mathematics. Um, really? It was Piastri, if you take away that fuckery in Australia, Piastri only beat him in Monaco, 10, 10th place to 12th place. And that set Piastri apart. Otherwise, they're pretty equal from what I've seen. Like they, They've switched a lot of races. DeVries finished a little lower. Piastri would finish a bit lower. You can blame the cars. I think the McLaren was in a better position to be a better car. It, I think the AlphaTauri wasn't always going to beat the McLaren. I don't know. I think if DeFries got the whole season, you might have seen a, a better, like a better reputation from from him, and he might have even got a second one. I disagree, but you're right. In the first part of the season, it's possible that that's the outcome. Mm-hmm. But because you didn't get to finish the season. Right, so the McLaren made a step, and that's clear. They made a drastic step in their car mm-hmm. uh, mid-season. Alpha Tauri didn't. Correct. Correct. But- so if I was able to compare Yuki and Nick, which I technically can do, I just don't want to because it's not a full season. Right, we're looking mm-hmm. for similar data sets. Um, the fact that the car made a step kind of proves the point that the drivers can develop the car. So you think you think Lawson and Sonoda and potentially even Ricardo in the two races helped push that car where it needed to go? You're not going to like this, but I don't think Ricardo or Lawson or DeVries had anything to do with it. Now, I don't, I don't think Yuki is a great developer. I don't think he's long for F1. But Not by the he's sense. definitely earned his stripes. He deserves to be there. Oh, I, I agree with you that the last flurry in the in I think the last eight races, the flurry of points he got, yeah, you you he earned back his seat. But he was being worshipped for three tenth places even before that. Even before the tenth place in Belgium, he was being worshipped. I mean, Franz Toast came out and was pretty vocal that we fucked up. The car is not what it needs to be. Um. But that was that was his third season. 
in a decent car that's Red Bull's sister team. And he wasn't exactly showing anything, in my opinion. Yeah, the difference is it's Red Bull's sister team, but they're it's an Italian team. They're almost too proud to do anything with it, right? So this year is different. They've taken a lot of the Red Bull design elements and put it into the car, and that's a Red Bull corporate strategy. Hmm. Prior to this year, it was, we're going to design our own car. And that's where Franz came in. And I think Franz Tost is probably one of the best management talents on the grid. And he's done a lot with that team, considering it was Minardi, which was backmarker team 100% of the time. And he's gotten to two race wins, which doesn't seem like a lot and is kind of pathetic in the scheme of F1. Call, call them Minardi, and that's amazing. Right. Yeah. Minardi winning two races, you would never fucking thought it. Exactly, right? yeah. So that's all France. Mm. He's gone now, and Red, and they've changed that entire management structure, and they've gone more towards Red Bull. But France is responsible for Yuki, effectively. He's there because of Honda, yes. Mm. Honda pays his salary. But France is the one that didn't give up on him. No. His first season when he was crashing and he had all these sorts of anger problems, France took him under his wing. He made him the driver that he is today. He he owes his career to him. Well, even that, that Alfatari in 2021 was pretty good. And to Yuki's credit, he finished fourth in Brazil that year. Right. That like that's like I wasn't necessarily mad at Yuki the first two seasons. Even even 2022 when he got the same points as Mick Schumacher, and and kept his seat, and Mick didn't. I wasn't salty about that. I was kind of annoyed with the tenth places being and the eleventh places being worshipped. That's what I don't hate Yuki Sonoda. It's because he's consistently getting a point. Not really two. Like he got two or three up until Belgium, right? Like I just to be talked for the second Red Bull seat for that. I know the car is bad. I just I don't I don't understand. Right, but take it in comparison with a Gasly or an Ocon. Yeah, they may have finished with more points than he did, but you never fucking knew where they were going to be. You always knew Yuki was going to be between 12th and 10th. Mm. He was a pretty consistent mid-pack. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think yeah. maybe maybe the first couple races of the season, but to, but then there was like a lag or like a, a drop-off until the end. Yeah, yeah, sure. But then you get Alpine. Ocon finishes the podium in Monaco and then finishes 16th, 18th. Yeah. You know, complete inconsistency and this goes back to the analysis of if you can't be good be consistent if i finish 10th for 20 races i got 20 points that's fair but i can i think in terms of driver development like if you're having a bad season like alpine was you want the drivers that can pull on alonso in the sense that they either finish high or finish low you would rather them know that they can finish high because one day you're going to give them a good car I can like we can play devil's advocate with that. I would rather have the drivers. I would rather I would rather a season with two wins, and then a lot of inconsistent like seventh to tenths, than the driver who came fifth every every race. Like that's that was what Ferrari's logic was with uh, Leclerc versus Sainz. Sainz was consistently coming sixth in twenty twenty one, then fifth in twenty twenty two, and then fifth again in twenty twenty three. But Leclerc was getting the poles and the podiums, and even though science got the win in 2023. But let me stop you there. 
You're the mathematician here. You're the math major. I understand what you're getting at, but go on. You should go back and do the work to figure out at what point does the inconsistency make sense. If I finish fifth, sorry, if I finish first or 11th, if that's my spread, all the points are no points. How many races do I need to win before I can win the championship at that point? That's fair. That's It's fair when you put it that way, when you want to calculate at the beginning and project and, and, and extrapolate out to what we need to do. What, what I was saying is in the sense, if you know you're going to be inconsistent, if you know you're not going to be a championship team, what do you want to see in your drivers? Would you rather see the driver who can win or would you rather see the driver who can be consistent? I don't know. I, I personally would rather driver can win. As a manager, I would rather see my people consistently hit a target. Nothing drives me more insane than having someone who is sporadically perfect and imperfect. Mm. In the sense where I can't count on them to do what I'm asking. Not that I want them to perform at an elite level every time, but I want to know that when I go to this person and ask them to do a task... I get a result and a timeline. You don't want the ups and downs. I can't plan if it's inconsistent. Mm. Just like this is a business. If I have someone who places first or last, like Fernando Alonso did early in his career, I can't, I can't say with any certainty halfway through the season that I'm going to win. I can't give any hope to my shareholders, to anybody else, that we're going to produce a result. Because for all I know, he's going to come last for the next six races. I'll throw in this variable. Is he a third-year driver or is he a seventh-year driver? The seventh-year driver, yes, you would rather the consistency in a sense. Like you want to know that they can consistently finish. The third-year driver, you are acting on the expectation that if he can pull out wins, even though he DNFs a lot, if he can win, he can one day figure it out. Let's start this way. If he's a first-year driver, I'm less concerned about his consistency because I want him to make mistakes. I want him to find where the edge is. I want him to know that when he goes over the edge, he's fucked up. Hmm. It's that feel-out point, right? So, one to three, he can be a little inconsistent. But he's got to realize that it's not... He has to take the ego out. He has to realize that, oh, shit, I went over the edge. I've got to dial it back. Not, I've gone over the edge. You didn't give me the proper fucking car. No, no, no. The car is the car. You tell us how we make it better. But if you go over the edge and you can't tell us how to make it better, you don't deserve to be there. You said it right at the end. Schumacher, Senna, Verstappen, they all went over the edge. They all went over the edge, but you're, but then they said what we needed after that. Yes. Well, that was a great part of the discussion. I think we the best part of the discussion was the last uh, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add before we uh, get out of here? Um. Not really, no. I just want to throw in there that um, I've been drinking during this episode. Nick has not. So I'll if, be drinking next week. 
if anybody from Lot 40 wants to uh, throw some sponsor dollars our way, that's what I've been drinking tonight. Lot 40, 100% rye. Mm. Very good. Is it Canadian whiskey? or? Oh, it 100% Canadian. rye. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yes. It's very good. kind of want to try it, but maybe I'll try it next week. Don't finish the bottle. Can't promise you anything. I knew you were going to say that. All right, everybody. This is another great discussion for the night. Uh, next week, we're, we're coming close to the first week of the season. So next week, we're going to give our predictions for the 2024 season. You do not want to miss that. All right. Have a good night, everyone.